I'm Warren Berkeley. The Laurel Heights Church of Christ hosts these video Bible classes. Welcome to our Bible class in 2 Timothy. We are in 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 14 during this class. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 14. Last time, in our first approach into 2 Timothy, I highlighted Paul's situation in prison, facing execution. It was reported to have been said by Samuel Johnson, Depend upon it, sir. When a man knows he is to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. For Paul, the concentration of his mind was on his younger counterpart, his son in the faith, Timothy. He wanted Timothy to receive these instructions and encouragements with clear conscience and intention to carry on the work. 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 14. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The gospel is the message from God declaring that God alone decided to do for us what we could never do, bring us into right relationship with him. God does this based on the death of Christ. The message then comes to us asking for a response. As we respond, God forgives us our sins and takes us into his family. People obey the gospel and begin to be disciples of Christ. Now, verse 8 says, do not be ashamed of this. Share in the suffering so that this message is delivered. It is the power of God that takes people out of sin, people who want to be forgiven, who can be forgiven based on God's power and grace as it was expressed in the death of Christ. Where there is pressure, temptation, and persecution, when you are delivering a message that goes against the grain 
of human autonomy and worldly pleasure and materialistic attachments. There must be this strong determination to not be ashamed, to not back down, to not hold back, to not water down the message, but rather suffer whatever hardship may occur to get this message delivered to sinners. It says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Timothy needed this warning, and we can use it as well today. It should strike us as a horrible thing to be ashamed of the gospel, to keep it hidden, to distance yourself from God's plan of salvation that everybody in the world needs to hear. Notice the gospel is described as the power of God, continuing in verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. The choices God made to provide salvation in Christ were choices he made before the ages began. Like almost to say before the clock started, God was generous and gracious and merciful in his thoughts and plans for man back before the flood, in fact, before creation, before sin. It says before the ages began. For us, grace and mercy may not even be a thought we have until after we are offended. Maybe not then. God, on the other hand, before the ages began, made plans to call sinners and save sinners, not because sinners were good, but because God is good. That grace is received when one obeys the gospel. That grace is kept as the Christian lives up to this holy calling. Now the phrase here, not because of our works, needs good objective attention. This does not say that all human works are ruled out. Rather, it says, God's initiative to save sinners was based on his purpose and grace, not the behavior of man. Let me say that again. God's initiative to save sinners was based on his purpose and grace, not the behavior, not the misbehavior of man. The claim is the basis of the gospel is not human works, but God's purpose and grace. I say again, God didn't make these plans because we were good, but because he is good. All we can do is receive and keep what he offers. That is a product of his grace and love for man. I wanted to add this. The character of the gospel is the character of God. By that I mean the gospel is not some cold legalistic formula 
some mechanical plan like a cosmic vending machine. The character of the gospel is the character of God. His love and mercy, his grace that he purposed that he would save sinners, sinners who do not deserve such consideration. The character of the gospel is the character of God, his love, mercy, grace. All we can do is receive and keep what he offers that came from his character and his purpose. And we receive what he offers by the activity of our faith in Christ. Verse 10 simply says that what God had planned before the ages began was manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Doubters and critics love to jump on this passage and say something like this. What do you mean Jesus abolished death? People die every day. It is true, on the cross, Christ did not eliminate death itself, the physical act, but he abolished it in the sense of giving men and women the means to overcome it, to join with him and claim the defeat of death. The next phrase gives good meaning to this. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You can hear the gospel and obey Christ so that even though you die physically, there is no spiritual loss even after you die, only gain. And when raised from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, death is swallowed up in victory. Let me illustrate. If I announced a cure for cancer, I would not be saying that cancer will not exist. I would be saying there is a remedy. That's not a perfect illustration. But Jesus did not eliminate death on earth. He abolished the horror of it by making a way for those who die to still enjoy life and immortality through the gospel. An old preacher, probably from Arkansas or East Texas, used to say, there ain't nothing that takes the ugly out of death like the beauty of Christ. These were the things Paul, as he approached his death, wanted Timothy to get hold of and live by and teach to others. And these are the convictions we need to have today. Verse 11 says, Paul was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher of these things. Bringing us to verse 12. Paul said, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. The men who first preached the gospel, the apostles and evangelists we read about in the book of Acts, faced severe opposition. It was not really a free society as we know it. There were powerful systems and men 
who had long developed the habit of crushing what they didn't like or killing any threats to their hold on people and power. Persecution was aggressively applied toward the apostles. Justin Martyr, in his famous work, said, Though beheaded and crucified and thrown to wild beasts and chains and fire and all other kinds of torture, we do not give up our confession. But the more such things happen, the more do others in large numbers become faithful. So Paul suffered, but that pain never pushed him to the point of giving up or being ashamed of the gospel. Timothy needed to live under the influence of that example. When you remember people before you who suffered for the cause that you're a part of, and they didn't fold under pressure, it helps to create strength and give you courage. Paul was not pushed into sin or compromised by suffering, though the devil wanted that to happen. Paul was not pushed into sin or compromised by suffering because he had knowledge based on belief that caused conviction. Listen to verse 12 again, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Knowledge based on belief that caused conviction. This explains the strength and resilience of the Apostle Paul. And this memory would equip and motivate Timothy to persevere. Now, there is a part of this in verse 12 that should not be overlooked where Paul said, I know whom I have believed. In this statement, he doesn't say, I know what I believe, though that was certainly true. That's not the emphasis here. The emphasis here is on whom, that is, Jesus the Christ. Paul knew him. It wasn't that Paul just knew facts about him. Paul knew Jesus Christ. Paul had such confidence in Jesus Christ such depth of acquaintance and trust. He knew the gospel he preached would always be authentic, powerful, and saving. I bring that up for our study because it is possible to know what you believe, but not who you believe in. You can know all the facts and propositions and doctrines about Jesus Christ but you need to move deeper with your faith and knowledge so that you know and love him. It is essential not only to know the facts of the gospel, but to know the Christ of the gospel. Verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This verse is important. It shows there was a pattern given through the apostles, and subsequent generations were expected to follow that pattern. May I say that again? 
may I say again, there was a pattern given through the apostles and subsequent generations were expected to follow that pattern. Well, that may sound simple enough, but the thinking of the modern religious world, and even in some cases within traditional denominationalism, is that you're free to make changes to adapt the gospel to each emerging generation. Human adaptation is celebrated in modern religion. Where you take a little Bible and you mix in some modern mythology and you add some contemporary marketing, that thinking may seem to be clever and relevant, but it's just wrong. Timothy was to follow the pattern of sound words he learned from Paul. And there's every reason to believe we are to follow the same pattern. We do that in the faith and love of Jesus Christ. That means if you believe in Jesus and you love him, you will want to hold to the pattern of the words, the teachings that he gave through the apostles that we have in the New Testament. Then it says, by the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, guard the gospel deposit entrusted to you. Paul, Timothy, and every Christian today relies on God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Paul and Timothy had more direct access. They were living under the initial work of the Spirit, as reflected back in verse 6. We are not apostles, and we do not perform signs and wonders. Nevertheless, think of this. As you and I hold the pattern of sound words, what are we doing? We're relying on God's work through the Holy Spirit, and we are partaking of the benefits of the death of Christ. So everybody who holds to the pattern of sound words is relying on the Holy Spirit and relying on God who gave that word, and relying on Christ who died for us. The imperative for Timothy and every preacher and every Christian is follow the pattern of sound words. And written in terms of stewardship, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. That's our study in 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 14, and I do have some wrap-up remarks. Number one, don't ever be ashamed of the gospel. It is one of those phrases in the Bible that immediately conveys to us weakness and a loss of conviction to be ashamed of the gospel. So, only as we take up the imperatives in passages like this and make them our own internally are we able to avoid being ashamed of the gospel. Then we follow the pattern of sound words and we guard the deposit. Once we understand the full impact of verse 9, we are not inclined to engage in any boasting about how good we are. God didn't initiate his plan of salvation because mankind was so good and deserving. Verse 9 says, not because of our works. God initiated his plan because of his grace, not our good behavior. Once we understand that, 
any desire to brag or boast about what we did to be saved is eliminated. We only responded to God's offer when we repented and were baptized and as we live holding the pattern of sound words. Verse 12, I know whom I have believed. I want to distinguish between two things, knowing historical facts and knowing him, Christ. Knowing historical facts and knowing him. This is like what I sometimes bring up, that there are people who know the Bible well, but not the author. One of our purposes when we read and study the Bible is to form and maintain a personal relationship with the Lord so that you can say what Thomas said, my Lord and my God. True believers are not ashamed of the gospel. They do not boast of their greatness because they know the Lord. You remember the hymn? I'm not ashamed to own my Lord or to defend his cause. Maintain the honor of his word, the glory of his cross. Thank you for listening.